Hi, my name is Kevin McQuillan, and the following pre-recorded conversations are my attempt to make sense of the human experience through the practice of yoga. I hope you enjoy. Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you. Nice to have you. Move into practice if you've not practiced with me before. I offer distinctions uh, before I move into the practice. So you just kind of have an understanding of why I'm teaching, what I'm teaching, what I'm attempting to teach. And uh, it's a conversation, essentially. It's a conversation I'm attempting to evoke. And specifically, the conversation that you're having with yourself to get into that conversation. And it is an important conversation one that's useful to pay attention to and to define in various different ways because there's a lot of conversations happening upstairs. That's the tendency. And who's speaking and why? And where is that taking you? Sometimes it feels like we're random, but we're not that random. We're looking for a particular outcome and there's something driving us towards that outcome. And in this conversation this morning, I'm going to speak about dispute and disputes. It's an element of life. It can be a common element to life, that is for sure. And two countering perspectives. One, cloaking yourself in righteousness. And the second, countering perspective, cloak yourself in empathy. And how different those two experiences and postures are. So I'm going to break this down. Take a few minutes. And we're going to move into a practice focused on the hips. Oh my goodness. And I'll explain why that's important, how this is relevant at some point. So disputes are often complicated. That is absolutely sure, uh, for sure. Complicated disputes are. Because rarely do they just happen. There's a whole infrastructure that's supporting a dispute. And it's been around for a while, festering, specifically in relationships. They have differing views from different people. So if you're having a dispute with a loved one, you're a different person than that, than that person. And that's complicated, very complicated, because you have no idea who that person is. As much as you think you do, you don't. And we can have this stance, right? I know you. And that's what can lead us into trouble. That's the righteousness in some ways. You could even say the arrogance. That I know you. And it doesn't matter how long we've known somebody, whether it's our children, our mate, our partner, friends, family, these kinds of things. We barely know them. That's what's so fascinating. They're a different person. They're not us. And that can lead us into trouble. And so the stance is, I'm going to posture for victory in the context of a dispute. I'm going to win and you're going to lose. I'm going to polish up my knuckles <laughs> and I'm going to posture for victory. That's the automatic stance in dispute. I have to win because winning is everything. I refuse to lose. The view, I am right and you are clearly wrong. Clearly. And let me tell you how wrong you are. And if you've ever been wronged by somebody, 
it doesn't feel very good. The intolerance, nothing you say is going to make you right, nor make a difference in this dispute. So just shut up. That's way better for me. And you'll soon understand it's way better for you if you just shut up. Swallow what you have to swallow. And let's move this thing along. The demand, you're the problem. And so therefore, best you change immediately. It's not me. It is you. And I have this long list of reasons why you're the problem. And let me tell you how terrible of a person you are. And if you've ever did, uh, if you've ever attempted to change and you have, you've attempted it, how difficult that is. What holds up a dispute is an, uh, an entire infrastructure. There's a problem. There's a whole infrastructure that's holding that problem on. And to dismantle that infrastructure and create another infrastructure to support some other destination is extraordinarily difficult and takes time, usually quite a bit of time, especially if a problem has been around for a while. And so to demand somebody change immediately, the request is change your entire life right now. It's a hell of a thing. It's a lot of pressure to put on somebody. And typically there's a dispute because it's complicated and it's confusing. And there's not a solution, not for that person, usually for us as well. The follow-up, I will pester you until you submit and fall in line. Have you changed? Have you changed? You haven't changed. <laughs> These are all the reasons or examples I have that you have not changed. You're still doing the same damn thing you were yesterday or five minutes ago. You haven't changed. You should change. And let me tell you how you should change. I'm way smarter than you. And I have the solutions. It's some stiff messaging. And it's a lot of pressure. We are our worst critic by far. We are so bloody hard on ourselves. Rarely is somebody harder than on us than we are to ourselves. It's very rare. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, because it does. We have a good understanding of when we're failing and how we're failing. Nobody knows that better than us, especially with a problem that we can't solve on our own. It's very difficult. Puts a lot of pressure on the self. And rarely are we dealing with the problem as it is. That's what's so fascinating about problems. The whole infrastructure is holding up the problem. We have a way of picking at the end result whatever that end result is, not talking about what's underneath and what is causing this to occur 
And how long has it been around? And why has it gripped somebody in the way it's gripped somebody? That's like a lifetime inquiry. <laughs> Something has been hanging around for quite some time that somebody has not been able to solve. And to be able to dismantle that and to do that with a great level of patience takes a tremendous amount of skill. The reason why we typically pester somebody to change is I'm uncomfortable. You're the bother and I don't like it. You're messing with my life. My life is not supposed to be like this. It's supposed to be like this. And you're fucking with it. And so stop it. Like now. This is not the picture I have. This is not the marriage I have. This is not the kid I'm supposed to have. This is not the life I'm supposed to have. And I'm bothered. And so that bother perpetuates more bother and puts a lot of pressure on somebody. So much so they'll crumble and do their best to avoid you because you're not helpful. You quickly come the bother and the tyrant. And the someone somebody can't live up into, you know, often the case. It's very difficult to deal with problems. That's why we don't do it so well. <laughs> and it becomes that much more complex when we're dealing with problems with somebody else, we can barely sort ourselves out on a daily basis and all the problems that we have. And there's many, every bloody day, some we can solve quickly, some stick around for a lifetime. And we can lose sight of that, how difficult it is to deal with issues and problems that we have as an individual. Then you throw that out in the collective and it becomes that much more complex and very difficult with all these differing views. That accompanied with the lack of skill with listening and communication, it is a recipe for disasters. And so I could imagine you have some problems in your life. Is that a fair statement? What's the one that's on the top of the heap? That's a question for you. I love an answer to just to make this conversation real. What's the problem that you're dealing with is like at the top of the heap for you? Self-loathing. Self Thank you. Who wants to put it out there? Your son's addiction. Thank you. Who else? Being okay. Say it again. Being. Okay. Yeah. Great. 
best you can. Aha, okay, stick with it. Something to do with commitment. Okay, good, thank you for that. Who else, what do you got? Marital stuff. Ah, yes. Uh huh. Relationship stuff. Anybody else want to throw something out? Make it real for you? Unfulfilled expectations. Thank you for that. Very good. Pressure. Pressure. Cool. Yeah. It's a lot of that, isn't there? Okay. Good. Very good. So you're grappling with something. Good for you. Some say it's better to have a problem than not have a problem, which is very interesting. <laughs> and I find that interesting, that perspective. It's better to have a problem than not a problem because you have something to focus in on. And it makes it real, it makes life real. And the ability to practice and to be focused in on something and attempt to solve a problem, which takes skill building, which is not easy, that is for sure. What I've noticed uh, in my own experience is when it comes to dispute, the desire I have to dismantle somebody's argument and to do it as quickly as I can. And what I've realized along the way is not only am I dismantling somebody's argument, I'm dismantling them and everything they believe in. Oof. <laughs> ah. When I start to realize that, it's like, wow. That's a brutal way of taking on a conversation and how unhelpful that is and how detrimental that is. Not only taking somebody's dispute or argument or position apart, I'm taking them apart, strip by strip. And their belief system, value structure. And doing that over a span of time, how that supports just hollowing somebody out until there's nothing left. Until they, until they stop communicating and trusting. And what they're left with is themselves. Feeling, hmm, <laughs> unsupported. a lack of belonging, acceptance, and so on and so forth. And I already know what that feeling is like. We all do. And how that torments us, being the outsider, the outcast. We already believe that. We already believe all of that. There's nobody worse than us in terms of how we see ourselves and the sense of self-loathing and disgust and feeling already like the outcast. We don't need the outside forces to reinforce that. And so how to shift all that. One way to do that is to cloak yourself in empathy, which is very difficult. Very difficult, but requires great humility. And the view is something like, I'm a fool. And that is absolutely true. And it's quite likely that I have no idea about what's happening here. 
How could that be true? That's true because I barely know you. Even though I've known you for 30 years. So I have no idea who you are. I barely know who I am. So how could I possibly understand you? You weird mystery. The tolerance, remain patient, shut up and listen. Oh, that's a hell of a skill to take on. To be patient, shut up, shut up and listen. Let somebody communicate, speak. Let them fumble along. And that is the demand. Encourage communication. Let the other person stumble around in the process of exploration. They're trying to explore themselves and a the problem they have. And to be able to encourage somebody to bring themselves out into space and time with all their flaws is a skin-crawling experience, but needed nonetheless. We do not have all the answers as much as we think we do at times. Especially so for, especially for somebody else. Do you like it when people give you advice? <laughs> Probably not. And it's usually advice people don't live by anyways. That's often the case. And so to be able to resist that, not to give advice to somebody, let them figure it out on their own. And that's the support structure, ideally. And the follow-up, what do you need from me to feel supported? Ah, that's a great question. And the reason is because I care for you. I care about you. I love you. I want the best for you. And so what do you need from me? I'm here to listen. I'm not here to be right. I'm not here to fix you because you're not broken. And so that's a hell of a posture to take. It's worth taking on ourselves when we're dealing with ourselves. That is like an everyday moment, everyday experience. And the ability to bring that forth in our relationships and what that could mean. And you've done it. And when you've been able to do it, I imagine there's been some semblance of success. And good for you. And how much you had to sacrifice for that to occur. You being right, one of them. So it takes clear eyes to solve problems. That's why I appreciate about the practice of yoga. Every pose you're going to find yourself in is a problem. <laughs> That's what's so strange about the practice of yoga. It's a problem. And how are you going to solve the problem? Some you like, some you won't. It's like, okay, fair enough. But 60 minutes of solving something and to have something out in front of you, this problem that some of you mentioned, that you have an issue with, you'd be able to use this practice to strengthen yourself, to cloak yourself in empathy, so you can stand in front of this problem and to face it and attempt to solve it versus avoid it. I'm not saying you're avoiding it. Parts of it you are. That's the consideration. Parts of it you are for sure. Because it's painful. But to use this practice to put yourself together in a way that you can rise to the occasion and to move this issue along. Because it's good for you, it's good for others, it's good for your family, it's good for everybody else that you come in contact with. And so that's what's at stake. So the focus of this practice is hips. Mm, a lot happening in the hips. Left hip, where you hold envy and feelings of violation. 
The right hip, resentment and painful relationships we hold in the right hip. And the ability to rid yourself of this energy and this deadened space so you can stand differently. You can move differently. Rid yourself of the rigidity of these experiences so you can become more flexible and that's what's needed to solve problems. Greater flexibility. And I wish that for you. So welcome to the practice. Nice to have you here. Good afternoon. Nice to see you. I'm going to talk about two experiences before we move into practice. And I think they're relevant. And you'll experience both in your practice. First is war. And the second is peace. You're at war with yourself if you haven't noticed. That's absolutely true. Searching for peace. Here you are at Peace Retreat. No fluke, came here for a reason. This morning I was talking about dispute and how dispute is like an act of war in some ways. We're attempting to destroy the other person, fight to be right, and how that can cause tremendous amount of catastrophes in our life. And so I want to speak about that again. Up on the top board, some elements or qualities that support war. One is arrogance. Arrogance. Ugh. Treacherous indeed. I already know enough, and I'm right about what I know. And I'll share it with you as much as I can. The impatience that follows is you're a bother and you're not worth paying attention to. It's a stiff message to send somebody. You're not worth my attention, so get along with it and then get lost. The mistrust that comes along with that, I do not, spelling error up there, I do not trust this experience. I don't trust your motives. You ever question somebody's motives? I imagine. I also don't trust myself, my ability to handle this experience. It's too confusing, too unpleasant, too much, and I don't like it. Leads us, leads us into this experience of you change. Because that's way easier for me. <laughs> and don't forget how great I am and how wonderful I am. I stay the same while I observe you struggle. I observe you struggling, unsupported with your insufficiencies. I make spelling errors when I rush leave words out. <laughs> and so that's the tendency to demand somebody else to change and we sit back and observe. Somebody fumble along. And the driving perspective is I rather destroy you so my belief system can survive so I can be right. My belief system, my ideology, what I believe in is more important than you. And I would rather have that survive than you. The opposite, of course, is the ability to create peace, which is not so easy. 
My hope is that you can see this in your relationships, what I just explained. Arrogance, impatience, mistrust, and the demand that somebody else's change. It's in your relationships because it is you. Welcome to your relationship to your body. And how your mind treats your body. That's it. Not fully. That's a driving force in how we treat ourselves. And specifically how the mind treats the body. Change, change, change. There's something wrong with you down there, stupid body. And so if it lives in here, it lives out there. And the ability to create peace within is essential. If you're able to do that within, perhaps you can manifest that in your relationships, which is needed. Which requires humility, which is the seat of a student. Humility. I know very little, especially about you. And I'm here to attempt to understand you. That's the position I'll take in this conversation, this relationship. I barely know you. I'd like to get to know you, and maybe you'll teach me something. Patience. I'm committed to paying attention to what you say closely enough and carefully enough that you feel validated in your position. That is so bloody difficult, <laughs> especially in a dispute. Even if you don't agree with somebody and their position and their stance, can you validate them? Because it's important to them. Otherwise, they wouldn't be arguing with you. So something in their argument is important to them. And can you validate that? Which requires tremendous patience to be able to pull that off. Which supports trust. I can hear, feel, and respond in a matter that will make this experience better. What a wonderful thing to do. I'm attempting to make this thing better. And in an effort to do such a thing, we both change. Ah, we both must change. <laughs> it's our individual and collective responsibility to change enough that this problem dissipates and gives rise to a better experience for both of us. That's what's so incredible about being in a relationship. That if we're skilled enough, we can make it better for both of us. For everybody. And there's a significant sacrifice in that. i rather my belief system die so we can survive. It's a significant sacrifice. Because a piece of you actually has to die. For you to create peace. You'd like to share something. Yeah? What is it? <laughs> yeah and then I okay and so your mind and anxiety and so then I'll, I'll ask you where does your anxiety live where does your anxiety reside okay okay do you behave on your do you behave based on your anxiety meaning does your anxiety make decisions for you Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
Okay, good. So one way to put it is your anxiety lives in your body. Your head is your body in part. Your chest is your body. I don't know what the other things that you do within your body when anxiety fills it up. Shortness of breath. I don't know. Maybe you start fidgeting. I don't know what you do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, disassociate. So is it less feeling in your body? Yeah. That's great. And we can do that. We can disassociate. Mm -hmm. So part of the work is how do you associate with your body? I imagine that's one of the reasons why you like yoga. Yeah. Yeah. Great. It's an embodied experience. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So I'm sharing this because we're about to practice. You are. And the idea is to make peace with yourself. That's the restorative element to a restorative practice, the ability to make peace with yourself. And to pay attention to yourself carefully and to validate your efforts and how important it is to validate yourself and to make sure you're doing that as often as you can. You'll find that strange if you don't do it and how difficult it is to do that consistently over a span of time. But it's the pathway to peace. And I wish that for you.